This is episode number 36, Breaks, Breakthroughs, and Breakdowns, with John Robinson. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming conference, Path to Resilience, in Philadelphia on October 20th. A conference where you will have a chance to explore techniques for developing inner strength, becoming more persistent, finding your tribe, believing in yourself no matter how great the odds may be, and many more. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to our guest. Where do you come from? A question that some of us are fortunate to have an answer to, others not so much. A question that sparks a story deep inside our hearts. A story that gives others hope to not give up when times get tough. Without further ado, please welcome John Robinson. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show. It is truly an honor to have you here. And what I would like to do is for those who aren't familiar with your story and your background, could you tell us a little bit about your past? And the phrase that I would like to start this conversation off with is I'm the product of a single mother who had $100 and a six-month baby boy. Yes, I love that. That That is where the story is born. And and when you think about where you come from, there's that, that spark, that story. And that is my story is that uh, my mother, as a young single mother at 18, 19 years old, she had a friend's name in mm-hmm. Chicago, and she came from a very, very small town in the middle of Colorado, where it was so small of a town, it was a sugar beet town, where that's the only thing that the town was known for. So a lot of migrant workers and a lot of uh, you know blue-collar workers, and that's mm-hmm. where she came from. So she had this six-month-old baby boy, me, $100, and a plane ticket, and a friend's name in Chicago. And she decided to decided to start our life, and uh, from there, everything just feels like it was yesterday. Of <laughs> lots of 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 breakthroughs, uh, a lot of breakdowns, and a lot of breaks. And that's how I look at life a little bit. As I look at it as the breaks that we have along the way, which is luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, the breakthroughs, the breakthroughs that we have is like the aha moments. And the breakdowns, the, the setbacks, and that framework has been something that's always been inside of me since that story of being a six-month-old baby boy on, on his way to Chicago. That's amazing. I, I love that mindset that you mentioned because it, it's something that I've been fortunate to realize myself, and that is I firmly believe that within every adversity and challenge, there is a takeaway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for in my case, you, 
you were a little bit older, just a, a few years older than I am. So yeah. in my case, I've been fortunate to have this realization recently. And when I began to notice that it actually, a lot of things made a lot more sense. And some of the things made sense just as what they were. And I didn't mm -hmm. really have to dig deeper in, in trying to find the reasoning and meaning behind certain instances and the events that have happened in my life. Um, one of the things that I was fascinated by, and this was from a conversation that you and I had over the phone, which is relatable to the point that you made about your upbringing, what was it like to not look like your family but feel uh, a part of it? Yeah, so let me let me give a little context for that. So uh, my mother goes to Chicago, a six-month-old baby boy, has this friend, uh, Ruth, and Ruth helps get us rooted in Chicago. And mm -hmm. my mother ends up finding a job. Um, Ruth ends up supporting both of us to, so she could get us, get her, get herself on her feet. And then she meets my dad. And when I say my dad, that is, my name is, my last name is Robinson and my dad's Milton Robinson. And this man that she met, um, probably like six months after we got to Chicago, he opened his arms and opened his heart, opened his wallet, opened his mind to a blended family. Mm -hmm. And I'm of Hispanic and English descent, and my dad is African-American. So as I grew up, all I knew about what dad is or what dad looks like is what my dad looked like, which is a black man. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize I didn't look like him until uh, probably around six. I, I can't remember the age now because it, it was young. It was like around six or seven. And we were in a, like a convenience store. And I was probably a step or two in front of him in line at the, with the cashier. And it wasn't, I wasn't far ahead of him, but I was probably a step or two. And the cashier asked, hey, can I help you? And I looked at her like, no, you can help my dad. <laughs> and I, I, I literally pointed over my shoulder and I saw the expression on her face that I look different. Mm. And that was the first time. And I have two younger sisters and yeah, they're they're these two younger sisters are are natural. I mean, they're with my, which I don't call them my stepfather, but in in normal terms for people, it's my stepfather and my mom. So my sisters, I never describe them as half because they've never been half of anything. They've always been my full sisters. But for those listeners, yes, I, my stepsisters didn't look like me either. But. I still thought that they did. Mm. So it took a long time for me to detach from this idea that I wasn't like my dad or wasn't like my sisters or my cousins because I was raised in the south side of Chicago as South Suburb. And all of my family that I say is my family is from my dad's side. So all African-American. Mm -hmm. So I was raised in a in a very, very unique environment where I didn't really see difference until society showed me that we were different. Mm. 
What did you do when you figured out that you were different? Um, I think it, it, I, there's two ways to answer that. It's what did I think and how did I feel? And then what did I do? Mm-hmm. I would say how I felt was weird, uh, like a weirdo, like an outcast. Uh, when our family would go out in the early 70s, it wasn't normal to see a blended family like that. And so I, I felt um, I felt odd. I felt, I, felt, I felt odd. What did I think about it? I think as I felt, the more odd I felt, the more I embraced it of like, yeah, I'm, I'm unique, you're boring, you're ordinary. <laughs> and that's how I, that's how I embrace it is in the uniqueness. And, and then how did I go through it? Cause there's a part of how you go through things, how you feel about them, how you think about them, but how you go through it. Mm-hmm. How did I go through feeling different? How did I go through feeling that I stood out? Um, I think I leaned more into the people that I felt more familiar with, which was of black or African-American descent. So all of my friends were black. Mm-hmm. So that's how I adapted. I just leaned toward what I felt was most comfortable with and did that all the way through high school. Mm. That's amazing. What, yeah. what, one of the things that I want to jump back to and actually is a perfect transition into um, the topic that I wanted to have for this episode, and that is family. What kind of impact did you did your father have on you? And if you could use one word to describe your father, what would it be? So my father, I'm going to go with the latter question first. Mm-hmm. So what one word would I describe him with? Uh, as him, determined. Determined mm. would be the word that I would describe him as. The impact that he had on me, I, I'm glad this is being recorded because I, 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 I've never said this to him, and this will be a wonderful gift. Uh, the impact that he had on me was was tremendous. The The, the determination that I watched in him to be a father when he didn't have a father. He had male influences, but he didn't have a father. And for him to show this, this level of cherishing and compassion and comfort and authentic care to a child that wasn't his mattered to me. And, and I, I say that because I think we live in a beautiful world and there's beautiful people, hence why I'm wearing this t-shirt that says beautiful people on it. And and uh, it it matters that we acknowledge the beauty in, in other people and that's why that was a big deal for me. I will extend it beyond him because his family, which is my family, his brothers, his sister, you know, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, that all made a huge difference too because my uncle and my aunt um, were like parents, mm-hmm. like exactly like parents to me. So I was raised with a lot of black influence and one of my aunts used to pick cotton. That's how, this isn't that far ago. She mm-hmm. picked cotton in Mississippi and my family, my dad came from Mississippi. My dad could had to drink 
from fountains that said colored only. So when you're raised by people who've had to overcome, people who've had to tolerate unfairness and unequal treatment, you it ends up being inside you. It ends up being something that, that you didn't realize was there until you know when you take stands for people. And that's what that's the light that still shines really bright in me is uh, I take stands. I can remember taking stands for my little sisters when I was young and I'll take stands for my family and those that I believe are are being mistreated to this day. Mm -hmm. I love that point because I I do 100% agree with you in regard to that. And the reason why is a lot of it has to do with my upbringing and the things that I faced within my birth family um, one of the th- things being is the fact that it, I, I truly didn't have a father when I grew up. And so for me to look at other people, including my adoptive dad, and figure out ways, well, this is how he's doing it, or this is how he was taught, and then pick up those skills and tools along the way so that when my turn is up to step up to the plate, then I'm able to deliver with my own perception of what it means to be a father. So it's interesting to learn from that perspective and not really have direct impact, you know, from a from an actual father figure in your life. Um, the the thing, the concept that I wanted to explore with that question actually relates to um, family and what it really means to have a family, because the the vision behind the organization that we started, Overcoming Odds, was to essentially dig deeper and try and break down the whole meaning of family. And what does it mean? To, what does it really mean to have a family? Because it's clearly a lot more than blood related. In fact, yeah. in, in that particular case, from my personal perspective, I don't think it's that at all. Because I can name you numerous times where it, it didn't work out as far as the yeah. whole family concept. So when I started to dig deeper within this and trying to understand, well, what does it mean to be part of a family? What does it mean to belong? What are the factors that really go into it? Is it the connection? Is it the empathy that you and I have for each other and each other's story? So in your eyes, what does family mean to you? And then the second part of that question, how do you define family? Yeah. So so what family means to me and why it's significant to me and why I value family is that it is There are people, their beliefs, their values, their their behaviors, there's emotions. There are all these things that are the family experience that you get to witness. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And some of these values you embrace and you attach to, Mm -hmm. and some of them you detach from. So the meaning of family is, to me, a, a place to look to on, on how you want to shape who you are. Mm. What, what is family? Family is everything. Family is your next-door neighbor. Family is your mother, your father, your aunt, your cousin. Family is your coach. Family is, to me all of the people who 
end up collectively becoming or collectively end up being labeled as a tribe. That's what I believe family is. When I think of tribe, the word tribe mm -hmm. or collective support, I don't see color. I don't see male. I don't see female. I don't see occupation. I don't see a race. I don't see income. I don't see any of that. Huh. I see, I see this, this, vibration this frequency of care and and that's what i believe family is it's this collective energy of those that that care about each other very interesting so with that said do you think it's possible to be disloyal to your family and the, and the reason why and I'll, I'll frame this question in another way one of the things that I've experienced when I started sharing my story, especially the um, tougher parts of it, living in Russia and having to overcome a lot such as hunger and safety and things like that, was that I felt that by sharing that part and almost putting a spotlight on the quote-unquote negative or rougher parts of that story, I felt that I may be potentially betraying my... Um, sister and my mother who were the primary supporters at the time with what you just said as far as how you define that do you think that it's possible to be disloyal to your family and if so what can you do about it so a resounding yes it is absolutely possible to be disloyal it's it's possible to detach, reject family. And I think it's needed. I, I know that there are philosophies, beliefs, attitudes that families have that aren't great, mm -hmm. that aren't smart, that aren't, aren't what you're intended to be. I'll give you an example. My mother and father are products of the American or the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Army. Short stints. My mother was short because I, she ended up pregnant and she didn't, I mean, she had me and then that was it. My father was in the Air Force for a little bit, you know, a few years, like four years, I believe. And they knew nothing about college. And if you said, was I, did I betray what they intended for me, which was, since they didn't know about college, they didn't have money for college, they said, hey, go to the forces. I absolutely betrayed that. Mm. I, be, I betrayed that, and I, I honor that betrayal, and they honor it to this day because I was the first to graduate um, you know, from undergrad and graduate, and then I had two sisters. Both my sisters followed my footsteps, and they graduated. So... Sometimes you do have to take a stand and, and know why you're taking that stand. And then don't look back. Don't look to the side. Don't listen back. Don't listen to the side. Just look forward mm -hmm. and move forward. Very interesting. So it's, it's a base, based on what you just said, it, I think it's important to challenge the norm um, that's being put in front of you. Now, with that said, is there a line that you are not willing to cross when it comes to that challenge. So I'm going to restate what I heard and use the word boundary. Mm -hmm. Are there boundaries that you set? Of course, they're core values. 
So are there are there core values of of you know how we communicate? Are there core values of honesty? Are there core values of selflessness? Um, core values of uh, passion? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, there there are lines that you draw to make sure that you protect the love for yourself, and then you know protect the respect for others. So there's always the lines to draw, for sure. I want to uh, transition into the purpose uh, segment of this podcast, which mm-hmm. uh, very much is a part of your story and the work you're doing. And the question I have with it is, how did all of the experience to the to this date ultimately lead you to your larger purpose? And then maybe to actually backtrack from that, what is that larger purpose that you've defined for yourself? Yeah, thank you for that question. I have an obligation. I have a responsibility. I have um, a calling. And that calling is under the premise that I believe that people should overcome less. Mm-hmm. And that's why, that's why I love your overcoming odds, because I believe that people should overcome less, meaning things shouldn't have to be that hard. Mm-hmm. And there are tools, techniques, and tips that are invisible to some people. And those people could be, it could be color, it could be income, it could be geography, it could be anything, but it's invisible. And I don't feel that that's whole. I don't feel that that's fair. So my work is always around trying to connect those that seek with those that raise their hand to give. Mm. And every and and you can call it social learning, you can call it social impact, you can call it lots of different things, but I feel like it's social entrepreneurship, and it's and it's perfectly aligned with my entire existence of how I was raised by African American families families because I say more than my own mm-hmm. that that suffered that had to overcome a lot. And because I have been fortunate to have doors that open for me, um, doors I've knocked down, connections that I am honored to have, I feel compelled to share them. I feel mm. compared to share my luck, my gifts, my, my connections, my books, all these books behind me. I, I, uh, I'm I'm known to have a library. I've got a couple people that check some books out, and now that I think about it, I got to check on those books and see when they're coming back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so when you when I look at purpose, because I know people struggle with it, and they're like, oh, I don't know what my purpose is. When I was figuring that out for myself years ago, I made it easy on myself, and I just you put the word present purpose in front of it. So then that gave me room to where, okay, to, this is my present purpose right now. And my present purpose, my present purpose until my core purpose showed up, which like I said, it's to help the world overcome less. Very interesting. So with, with the present purpose in mind, what types of questions did you ask yourself whether or not you were actually having the right purpose at that particular time? <laughs> I'm smirking about this because I have many other stories about very deep 
dips that I've had in my life. And we won't go into those now, but I will say the consistent theme is when I went into that dip, I would have this framework that I use, and I use this framework to this day. The first question that I ask myself has to do with mindfulness, and it's what's the situation I'm in? Whatever it is, what's the situation I'm in? The second question I ask myself, how do I feel about that? And that's emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. You know, that idea of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management. So that second question is built on that fundamental of gathering my emotions and knowing what they are. The third question, what do I really want? Intentionality, assertion, ambition, aspiration. Like those are the words that come up when I look at that third question. And as I go through these questions, and there's seven of them, so um, I, didn't, I bet you didn't realize you were in for a whole plethora of questions, but, but it's, it's my secret. And I, I'm happy to share the secret with people. With, I share my secret code. And, and that secret code is, like I said, think about where I'm at, mm -hmm. reflect on my emotions, understand what does that really want, and then the next is surrender. And surrender is this idea that says, what do I need to let go of in order to get what I want? What do I need to detach from? What has to be true so I get what I want? Then the next question is around the premise of take action. And taking action is, what am I going to do about it? What next? What am I, what, what's it time for right now to do? Mm -hmm. So when we go through this thinking, reflecting, understanding, surrendering, and taking action, if you follow the acronym, it's trust. Now, the last two questions have to do with motivation and encouragement. Motivation is, why should I do this in the first place at all? You know, why is this significant? Why does this matter? And then encouragement, who are the people around me that I need some support from? Trust me. Trust wow. me. Wow. That's what happened. That's so I, I use that. I use that for so many things. And I, every time I do this and I do a podcast and I, I start to share, I end up getting people to say, when are you going to write about this? When are you going to share this way of overcoming less, overcoming odds? I will see what happens. Once you publish this, I might have that one email that comes to me and that I just can't reject it and I'm going to have to start writing. Mm. So. I was just about to ask you that, whether I should be the one asking you that question. Yeah. yeah. You, you, met, you mentioned a lot and you talk about the different tools that have helped and shaped your life. The, uh, the book that I read a, a long time ago, actually, was I think four to five years, was um, it was centered around the, the ask. And I think it was... I want to say it was called why. And the question that I have for you is for those that either haven't found the courage or maybe struggling in developing that courage to ask for the things that they want, what can they do at the very early stages? And then the second part, maybe for those that are a little bit farther along, um, do you have any tips for them as far as 
not being afraid of rejection and things like that and just really just stepping into who you are and believing in what you're doing and then just asking for that thing that you need yeah i do and and the advice is going to be the same for the ones that are early in their growth process and those that are more late in their growth process i whenever i find myself trying to 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 see where i'm at and where i want to head i start with how do i and whatever it is it's like how do i let's just take an example of you want to write a book let's let's use the book process for me Mm -hmm. i haven't written a book yet and my how do i is how do i get past the resistance that i have inside me so that i begin writing this book that the world needs to read. Mm. That's how, that's how I would state that question is how do I do that? For those that are out there that are feeling like they don't know how to start, how do I get started? For those that are out there that are getting caught up in negative self-talk or negative feedback from other people, How do I get past the inner voice or the negative feedback that I'm receiving so that I put this out in the world because the world deserves it? So this beautiful question is the way that I always recommend that people dig deeper and push harder so that they get beyond whatever they're stuck with. How do I? How do I? That's a powerful statement. Uh, final question for today's episode and that is it's a question we ask every single one of our guests when the odds are completely against you what are some core fundamental principles that you always refer to (laughs) I'm stealing this one and uh, I shouldn't say stealing I one of the things I'm really good with is copying and that is a fundamental but that's not the one I would say is the immediate answer, but I'm going to share that one too, is that I copy like an artist. I, mm. I look and see what there is out there that's inspiring, and I mimic, adjust, tinker with. So that that's one of the ways that, that I do that. Now, what I, my initial gut answer was, I make things easy, lucrative, and fun. Hmm. And, and what that means is I do the best when I work on things that come easy to me. I do the best when I've designed it to where it's lucrative means it's something of value to me. Lucrative doesn't have to be money. Mm-hmm. Lucrative could be impact. So I, I find out the significance of it. And then 100% of the time, figure out what's fun in it. Make it fun. If you can't figure, if you if you spend your time thinking about what comes easy to you, why would it matter? Meaning, what the lucrative side of it, and then what would make it fun? Your choices become easier to make because mm-hmm. you're because you're aligning yourself with values, with principles. Mm-hmm. So that would be my answer. I want to make this episode come full circle, and the before this, you mentioned the number of books that you have in the background. And the quote-unquote copying like an artist is, mm-hmm. if, if I'm not mistaken here, but the book that you 
wanted to reference was Steel Like an Artist. <laughs> by, yeah, I do have that. I wasn't by, trying to I wasn't trying oh, to, okay. to mimic it or to share it, but you're right. That, that is what the, the book is. That's a fascinating work from an author that's actually based out of um, Austin, Texas, ironically enough. And uh, the one last question I have for you, and that is, do you have a book that book or multiple books that have had an impact on you that you'll be willing to share with our listeners? Yeah, I do. I, I have a host of them. And if you said, just pick one, mm-hmm. the one, the one that stood out to me very much so, and I'll tell you why first, because I think when people give recommendations, they don't say what the attachment is to mm-hmm. the book and why it matters. They just say the book. I have, being the fact, and you would understand this very well, when you don't have a present father, there is a hole inside you. There is a gap. There is a feeling of inadequacy. There's a feeling of what's missing. I've filled that hole with a book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Dita. And the book helped me by, by empowering me with a way to look at how I handle everyday life love work and play now that's my version of it that that's what i got out of it mm-hmm. did, did did david write it with that intention i don't know but i know that's what i got out of it my life is way more productive way more fun way more filled with love and definitely way more aligned with the work that i want to do so that that's the that's the one book that I would that would show up. And for the for the women listeners, it does not matter that it says the way of the superior man. It, what, they probably should just relabel it now and say way of the superior human, but uh, it's for everybody. And I've I've never given out more copies of a book than that one, literally. Wow. Well, d- just to let you know, that was quite the uh, quite the promotional material for the book. So I hope that. It gets picked up from here, and it's and... hidden. So, so I, I'm glad you say that because it's it's a hidden gem. It's not widespread. It's not on the New York Times bestsellers list. It's it's one of those books that you probably find dusty somewhere, and like, what the heck is this? So <laughs> that that's that's that book. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.